0: To pound the rock, the scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Casharo, and I'm joined as always by co-host Joe Wolfon. What up, Cash? What's up? Is that we are going to talk about a pretty insane Western Conference, and not insane in the in the sense that you know, like it's been some other years in the past of a few, like just absolute juggernauts and a conference that is so much better than the East and this and that. It's An insane West this year because of just how jam-packed and jumbled, especially in the middle of the conference it is. Like we've talked in previous years about a conference that's maybe tight and a race that'll go down to the wire, but this is truly out of this world. As of January 18th, which is the day we're recording this pod, more than halfway through the season, just five games separate third from 11th and three games separate fifth from 13th, we're talking about a winning a good week or a bad week potentially being the difference right now in the standings between like playing for home court in the first round and not even being in the It it is outrageous but it's super fun to watch maybe a little less fun if you're rooting for one of the teams involved in it because i'm assuming it's a little stressful what we're gonna do today is we're gonna talk about the seven teams currently in the 6 to 12 range who are separated by only one and a half games. The Lakers are in 13th, but we've talked about them plenty. I can only rant so much about Genie Bus and Rob Palenka uh, before they turn into my new Ernie Grunfeld. So we're going to leave them out today, talk about the teams 6th through 12th. That is the Clippers, the Warriors, the Jazz, the Timberwolves, the Thunder, the Blazers, and the Suns. And the way we discussed doing this pod is that we're going to For five of those teams, we're going to touch on them a little quicker, but the two that we want to spend the biggest segments on today are the two teams that are actually currently tied for 10th, the Thunder and the Trailblazers. So I'll leave it up to you, Wolfon, where you want to start, Oklahoma City or Portland? I just have a quick
1: question for you before we get into this, which is that, so yeah, we're talking about this kind of muddled middle here where, like you mentioned, it's two games separating eight teams between six and 13, but... When we talked a few weeks back about who the best team in the West was and sorting through that, I think we had five teams that we kind of considered. One of them was Phoenix, funny enough, because we're going to talk about them today as one of the team that's not even, I mean, they've fallen off the pace even uh, in the play-in race. Like they're outside of that bubble right now and we can get into talking about why, but At the time when we talked about the Grizzlies and I said that I thought they had the goods to make it out of the West this year, you were skeptical. You said you felt like they weren't quite there yet. They were a piece away. They won 10 in a row. They are still a half game behind Denver for that top seed because Denver isn't losing any games right now either. They've won seven in a row, but the Grizzlies have the best net rating in the conference. I think on balance, they've looked like the best team. Like If we're talking start to finish. And I'm just wondering if that has changed your opinion at
0: all about whether they do have what it takes to come out of this conference this year. I think they have what it takes. Like I, I would not be shocked if they won the West. Like I do think they're that good. I think they're legit. You know how I feel about John and just this team's like perennial ability to get maybe more out of themselves than everyone else thinks they can. But I do still think that if I had to pick, I wouldn't pick them. Like I would pick Denver over them in a, you know, a best of seven series. If you gave me Grizzlies or the field in the West, even a bunch of teams that don't seem as good as them, I would still take the field. Like, I think they're very much in the mix and have the ability to get out of the West. They're good enough to do that, but I still wouldn't pick them as my team to beat. I would pick Denver over them for sure. And, you know, obviously we'll see when the playoffs roll around, if there's maybe another, like if the Warriors are healthy, whatever, but Even right now, as good as they're playing, I would still say I'd have them as the second best team in the West, which is also, you know, even though it's only a half game, it is where they are in the standings.
1: Yeah, them and the Nuggets have really kind of separated themselves from the rest of the pack in the West. And I actually, you know, I keep saying this, but I do think that a healthy Pelicans team is much closer to being on that level than they are to, to, you know, being in the group with the rest of these sort of middling teams, but Right now, they're sort of scuffling along with Zion out of action and Ingram out of action as well, though he's maybe going to be back soon. Yeah, I Um, hope so. But anyway, yeah, so we've been putting this off for a while, this Thunder conversation, but we've been talking about them a lot off air. And I I feel like, you know, every time there's a big slate of games, I'm kind of compelled to tune in to the Thunder to just see... Like, how real is this? Because they kind of just keep doing it and doing it against quality opposition. And I was saying to you, even a few days ago, like before they had that convincing win over Philly and and then that really nice closing stretch to beat the kd Nets a couple nights ago, that I was starting to feel like they were just going to make the plan. Like they're a solid team that in this morass where it's very hard to figure out you know, which of these teams are actually any good or to find some kind of separation between them when there is so little of that separation in the standings. I don't know. I've started to feel like the Thunder are actually a cut above, you know, maybe, you know, definitely not a team like the Warriors or possibly even the Clippers, but the sort of lower rung teams like Portland and Minnesota, um, I don't know, man. I think that the Thunder might be the class of that group right now. Yeah. Uh, they are, they're 21 and 23, which puts them one game, Cash, one game out of the top six in the West. Yes. Uh, they are 20th in offense, although that's been much better lately, 10th in defense, and they have a positive scoring margin,
0: they, they've maintained a top 10 D basically all season, by the way, too. Like this isn't like, Oh, a hot stretch and that catapult. Like they have yeah. pretty much been a top 10 at times. Top five D start to finish so far this season.
1: Yeah. And I feel like there's actually been maybe a little bit of smoke and mirrors in the okay. defense, but uh, they're, they're obviously doing some things that are working and especially like it's all just sort of coalesced. Their last 15 games are 10 and five ninth in offense in that time and fourth in defense. And they've got wins over
0: the Grizzlies. That game against the Celtics where they scored 150 points without Shea. They beat them by 33. And the Celtics were favored by like 12 or 13 points in that game.
1: Yeah, both the Grizzlies and the Celtics were, I think maybe the Grizzlies didn't have Bane, But apart from that, yeah. those teams were more or less fully healthy. Uh, and the Thunder are actually 3-1 and one now without Shea this season, which... Yeah. Pretty impressive, yeah. and um, you know, other they they beat the Blazers twice in that span. They had that convincing win over the Sixers and that that win over the Nets the other night. Uh, and and two of their losses during that stretch, the ten and five stretch, were an overtime loss to the Pelicans and that one point loss to the admittedly short-handed Heat. But that game where Miami shot forty for forty from the free throw line and won by one. So even when they're losing, they're putting forth pretty inspired efforts, and
0: I think they might just be straight up good. Do you agree? Disagree? I agree. They've kind of been this sleeping giant, and not in the sleeping giant in the way of like, they're ready to be good right now, but sleeping giant in the sense of like, this young team with talent, with a young budding superstar with all these picks, like whatever, for a year or so now, and. It's kind of like you're waiting and, and you know, last year they were like a little frisky, but then we knew they were going to like rest everyone, which they did and they tanked and they might still do that this year. But it's at a point now where the resume is there, the like the eye test, everything matches. Like you watch this team, you look at the record, you look at where they are in the West and and more than halfway through the season, they're at the point now where like if they want to, they're ready. Not ready to compete for a title, obviously, but ready to like play meaningful games Right till the end of the season, ready to potentially get in the plan, ready to potentially make that big move, maybe not this year, but like this offseason with all like you got to remember of all the teams we're going to talk about today, even though we're saying the Thunder might be the class of that bottom tier of it. We're also talking about the team that more than any of these others are playing with house money. They are the youngest team in the league. They have a 24 year old superstar under long term team control through 2027. They have 13 first round picks over the next five drafts. They have cap flexibility. They have, you know, like in terms of asset capital, as good as any team, probably the best in the league to make that big move. Like like everything is really coming up thunder here. Oh, yeah. And they've got the number two pick from last year, Chet Holmgren, who could be a transcendent talent, waiting in the wings yeah he's heard that's concerning but like he'll rejoin the mix next year the way that they built this thing it's not like there's gonna be all this pressure on him to come in and change things like they're just in such a good spot right now and I think they maybe have some decisions to make down the stretch of this year like I do wonder whether they look at it as like look this is nice but we could use just one more infusion of young talent and so We'll take the foot off the gas and, and strategically rest, guys, and make sure we don't get into the play-in. Because there's a the thing, too. If you get into the play-in as the Thunder, or conversely, if you're a team that has to play the Thunder in a play-in, you should be scared shitless. Because whatever you think of the Thunder, whether you think the defense is smoke and mirrors, whether you think guys outside of Shea aren't that good, like Shea Gilgis-Alexander has elevated himself to the point where you do not want to play him in a one-game game like winner go home situation. This is the 1000th time I'm mentioning the passion project I do every season where I try to basically come up with like, who's the best player on it on the court in every single game. In my documenting of that this year, three guys have been the best player on the court in a game at least 20 times this season. Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic and Shea Gilders Alexander. Like, And that doesn't mean he's the third best player in the league, but you get what I mean. Like he's capable on any given night. I don't care who's on the court of stealing the spotlight, being the guy. And I wouldn't want to be a team like even, you know, we're going to talk about some teams today that have genuine championship aspirations. Mm -hmm. Like even if you're the Suns and you get healthy and sure, maybe people listening to this are going to roll their eyes and say, there's no fucking way the Suns are losing a, you know, a play into the thunder. But I'm just saying if you're the Suns, given the difference in pressure and all that, like you want to play, a, you don't want to play a one game, obviously we're to go home at all, but you especially don't want to do it against a team with a player like Shea Gildress Alexander. So the, the Thunder just fascinate me. They excite the hell out of me. They're one of my favorite watches. And I'm really intrigued to see what they do down the stretch because they could fight like hell to get in the play in and give themselves a real chance to potentially snag one of the last two playoff seeds in the West, but they could also go the other way still end up with a really good draft pick, add it to all this talent next year, or use it as another asset to make a very big move this year and come back next year very good. Um, All of which is to say, regardless of what happens this year, I think they're ready. And I think by next year, they're just a straight-up good team. And that big move is coming within like the next year or so. Yeah, I mean, it kind of has to, just because they don't have the roster space to house all of
1: those draft picks, right? And like you mentioned, I mean... You take those five drafts and the 13 picks that they have, they could trade seven first round picks like right now and still have surplus first rounders in those next five drafts. So uh, I am very curious if or when they kind of hit the accelerator on this thing. I did want to ask you, Okay, so that that project that you do, Mm -hmm. uh, did you track that game against the Nets? And I want to know if you if you did do that game, who did you come out? feeling was the best player in that
0: game i think i might have had giddy
1: yeah that's the right answer giddy. yeah i think i had giddy. So
0: giddy i do think uh actually now that you mention it i'm pretty sure giddy went from not uh tracking on my list at all this season to now having three uh occurrences where he was the best player on the court and they were all within the last like two to three weeks i think uh, yeah i think giddy, each of their last had- two.
1: Each of their I last had, two games, the one against Chicago and the one against
0: yes. Brooklyn, I think he was the best yeah. player. So I've got Giddy up to three right now, but I had him as, uh, as the best player on the court from either team in that win over the nets who were without, uh, both Durant and Kyrie or no, just Durant. no Kyrie played, but I think Ben right. Simmons didn't. Right. And then the last game now they're without Kyrie. Right. Okay.
1: But, yes. um, yeah, Giddy in that Brooklyn game was insane. And I want to get into talking about him a bit. But just like the Thunder as a whole, when I think about what's driven the kind of offensive improvement and how they're making it work, it's just the relentlessness, right? Like they just, first of all, they're, they're leading the NBA in drives by so much that it's a joke. They're averaging 10 more drives per game than any other team. The Knicks are second and the gap between the Thunder and the Knicks is the same as the gap between the Knicks and the 19th highest driving frequency team in the league. Like oh, that, have, Having Shea helps. Shea is the biggest part of that without a doubt, but it's not just Shea, right? It's also Lou Dort, who is just yep. an absolute bulldozer of a driver. Straight up bowling ball. Uh, Jalen Williams, th- their rookie kind of guard slash wing slash I'm not even really sure what he is, but I love him. I love his game. And then it's Giddy, right? Like he, his dribble drive game has really impressed me. And I will cop to, especially last year, being maybe relative to consensus, a little bit lukewarm on Giddy as a prospect. I think just because of the shooting limitations and I guess the kind of scoring limitations that I saw in general I was kind of conceptualizing him as like a bigger, maybe slightly better Rubio with worse defense, All right. but even just in his second year, like he has already far outpaced that comp as a scorer and the the driving game is the biggest part of that. Like obviously the size really does help when it comes to finishing around the rim And, you know, he struggled finishing last year. He struggled finishing in the early part of this year, but lately he's just been absolute nails both, you know, around the rim and kind of from that three to 10 foot range. But, you know, it's just, he gets pretty low. He protects the ball. He's got a deceptively quick first step, I think. And he just gets to the basket. Like 40% of his shots are coming at the rim. And then also 35% of his shots are coming from floater range. And he's got a nice little floater as well. So, that's 75% of his shots that are coming inside the paint which is just super impressive especially when you know now he's starting to really uh finish and find the touch on those shots around the basket so uh, you know he's been really impressive and obviously like the passing is the thing that popped right away like even last year when I was uh, and and that's where I was kind of coming up with that rubio comparison which is like you know maybe he'll struggle as a scorer but the passing is really going to be there and then if you're talking about like his size being an advantage, that also just gives him access to some of the passing reads that a smaller guard wouldn't have. And I just think over the last few weeks, he has been so impressive. He absolutely annihilated the Nets and the Bulls in the last couple of games, and um, it, it's coming together for him very, very nicely right now. Um, also yeah. a really good cutter, right? Like he can do some special stuff with the ball in his hands, but off ball, uh, I like his activity and, and his nose for space as well. And that has amounted to him shooting 52% from two point range, which um, again, the, the Rubio comparison was maybe a bit facile anyway, but Rubio, I don't think ever shot more than like 44% from two point range. Yeah. Giddy. Is very quickly proving himself to be like a pretty dynamic inside the arc scorer. Uh, if that jumper does ever come around to the point that he's like a threat from outside, and especially to pull off of the dribble, it's going to be scary. Um, so it's it's like that driving game from you know from Giddy from Dort obviously from Shea from Jalen Williams from this entire team.
0: Jalen moved- Williams has been really
1: good, by the way. I, I really like him. Oh. He he's just. Like again, like going back to the giddy thing, right? like just coming into the league with such an advanced feel for the game, like great decision maker, solid passer also has a really nice floater game, I think, um and just great connective playmaking chops. like I think he he's got star potential. i' yeah, think. I, I don't disagree. I do consider you know his physical tools and and the way that he could maybe be an impact
0: defender as well. Yeah. All right, so you're um, saying, though, about the uh, their driving game as a team?
1: Well, I just think that is what has sort of helped them overcome their shooting limitations, right? And you think of, okay, if you can't shoot, you can't really space the floor, does that allow opposing teams to pack the paint? And that closes off those driving gaps. But when you have somebody like Shea, who even when you kind of load up on him, uh, he can just sort of like slither his way through space. And then you think of somebody like Dort, who you can load up on him, and he can just break through the wall anyway— it's kind of like they make up for what they lack in off-ball gravity with tremendous on-ball gravity. And that's the way they're able to draw defensive attention. And then even if it's not like kickouts to three-point shooters, it's like laydowns or kickouts to cutters or things like that where um, I think it's been really impressive. And I mentioned like first in drives by a mile, second to the Lakers in rim frequency. And the three-point shooting has actually started to trend up recently. You know, thanks in no small part to Isaiah Joe, (laughs) who, you know, the Sixers cast off, who is uh, just a dead eyed three point shooter. And he's also one of these guys, you know, like Trey Murphy, we talk about, you know, Eric Gordon's another one of these guys who they like spot up five to seven feet behind the three point line. And they've just got incredible range and accuracy out to, you know, 28, 30 feet. Dude, also a tremendous shooter on the move. Um, it's just a, an ingredient that they really need, right? He's not, he can't do a, a whole lot inside the arc with a live dribble, but it doesn't really matter. Like they just need him to shoot the shit out of the ball and he fights on defense as well. So, uh, you know, he's been a good fit for them and, and has helped goose that offense, which again has just, is really trending up lately. And I don't know if it's going to last, but, uh, they're playing some excellent basketball at both ends of the floor right now.
0: I think Isaiah Joe found the perfect home in Oklahoma City. I think uh, when you talk about their team driving game and the lack of shooting they had, I think he's a perfect fit for them. I think that drive game is a perfect fit for him because I think it allows him to kind of do what he does around the perimeter and moving around the perimeter and off ball movement I and mean, finding ways to get open, which he's really crafty at doing um, around all those drivers is just a perfect fit. He was actually the captain of uh, my all nobody team this year because he did technically still fit the bill as a guy who was never a first round pick and who came into the season with less than a thousand minutes played, who I think has now turned himself into a legit NBA rotation player. I think he's like top five, top three or top five in terms of on off net league wide. Mm. I just think, you know, obviously it doesn't mean he's their most valuable player, but I just think he filled like such a glaring need for them in such an obvious way that it's, you know, that's why these numbers are what they are like you mentioned he's also fighting at least on defense but uh i do still think like when you talk about that big move that's going to come or just ways they can even address issues in the present i still do think shooting and a big man like a big man of the future to pair with this core is what they need and if they could find one of those like it doesn't even have to be you know the big move for the next disgruntled superstar, although they are very much in the mix for that based on their asset capital. It could even just be like using some, not all of their assets to get a quote unquote big man of the future to pair with them. And I know Chet Holmgren's obviously, again, waiting in the wings, but yeah. there, there are other things they can do that could get make them better right now if they did want to go for it or like try to make the playoffs this year. And that's why I think they're so fascinating. Do you think they, they will this season? Yeah. No, me neither. I think they
1: would probably rather keep the arrows in the quiver. I, look, the the move that I would love to see them make, and I don't even think this is necessarily good business, uh, but just for my personal enjoyment, because I've loved watching this team, and I think this would be such a great piece to add to it, if they were to go out and get Miles Turner
0: right now. they would win a, They would win a playoff round this year. I swear to God, they would win a playoff round this year just thinking about like his ability to space the floor, run the pick and pop game with Shea. I
1: mean, like that's so mutually complimentary offensively. And then he, like you mentioned, he really gives them that rim protecting element that they kind of need. And then, you know, they could treat his free agency. Like, look, we have a number that we're you know willing to, to sign you to, to bring you back. And if you walk, you walk. And, you know, maybe it's like a first, maybe it's even two first-round picks out the door, and that's why I'm saying it wouldn't actually be good business. It wouldn't be a smart move for them, and even resigning him maybe wouldn't be the right thing to do if that's going to complicate the plan with Chet. Although I actually think a to kind of ease him back because presumably he's going to come back on some kind of minutes limit, right? So having like a you know a, a, an established quality center there to ease his workload might not be a bad idea. And then also the possibility to play those two guys together. Right? Like that could yeah. work. Could it not? Absolutely. So, can. so I don't think that would necessarily be a bad thing for them to, to get him and bring him back. Although whether he would be open to resigning there is another matter. Um, but I just, you know, okay. They could be like, look, we're, we're not going to go above 20 a year. And if you want to walk, you can walk. And it was worth it to, to help get us into the playoffs and get them like, get our team some valuable reps, right? Like I would just love to see that. I don't think there's any chance that's happening. And again, maybe it wouldn't be the right decision anyway. I would just, that's a guy I would love to see them pursue this year. Um, Somebody like Zach Levine too, like if he became available, I th- think could be a pretty nice fit there. Uh, although maybe,
0: you know, he wouldn't fit their, di- their defensive identity. Yeah. And I do wonder with Levine, just because he's on that big new contract with some injury concern, like, and it would take, you know, not all, but a decent amount of some of like those assets that they've been saving. I, I wonder if he's just as harsh as it may sound like too much of a diminished asset for them to use like that treasure trove of assets on.
1: I, I don't know because of the contract and because of the injuries I don't know that it would take a treasure trove of assets to get him. I
0: think That's it would just fair. be
1: the willingness to take on that deal. And obviously, right. like, something would have to go at the door, and they'd have to find the matching salary, Yeah, which would frankly be the toughest part, right? Like, they'd yes. probably have to include Dort in that. Right.
0: Because other than Shea, who's already signed the big long-term deal, like, they don't have big-money guys because these guys yeah. are all young and on their rookie scales.
1: Yeah. So they'd have to sort of cobble it together, and, and Dort would be the centerpiece, I guess. And that, I don't know, that might hurt. I just feel... Right. I'm thinking of guys that would fit perfectly alongside Shea and Giddy. And like offensively, at least Levine is the type of player I'm thinking where I think you almost get some untapped upside there where you look at it and it's like, okay, big part of the reason that Levine has struggled, you know, not just this year, but going back a few years, like the, the area in which he's weakest to me is like his on ball stuff. Like when he has been asked to be a lead guard, I feel like that's where he struggled just because his playmaking is still quite limited. He turns the ball over a lot playing off ball. I think he's so good. And like having him lean all the way into that, I feel like you almost get, they could unearth like a different type of player. Um, This is all getting a little bit off the rails, but I think to to go back to the Turner thing and just generally why I want to see them target that kind of player and why I'm excited to, to, you know, see what this team looks like with Chet next year is like, that is what they're missing. And why I said I feel like there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors with their defense is because they don't have that sort of one true rim protector. Um, you know, it's really a shame that Darius Baisley has, like, no offensive game whatsoever, right? Because he is pretty easily, I think, their best rim protector. But yeah, because they don't have that, they sort of have to do the rim protection by committee thing. And they actually defend... Pretty similarly, I feel like, to the way the Raptors do, where it's a ton of help, guys are like really getting in the gaps, and there's a lot of overloading, and they stunt pretty aggressively off of the strong side corner, and they're just, you know, they're, they're applying pressure on the ball, and they're trying to turn you over, and I actually think they're executing that system better than the Raptors are this year. Like, yeah, they, There's no doubt about that. Um, th- they're getting lucky with opponent shooting, and... At the same time, they have, I think, one of the best defensive field goal percentages at the rim. So in spite of lacking that one guy who can do it on his own, collectively, they're doing a really good job of, of shutting that off. But there's some like indicators where I'm like, eh, um, you know, because of all the stuff that they have to do uh, in terms of their help, and also because I, I still think their containment at the point of attack is not that great, like Shea has been much better. But I, I feel like it's still, you know, maybe nets out as like average in terms of his point of attack defense. I think Giddy still has a ways to go in that regard. Jalen Williams too. Like that combined with like all of their aggressive help concepts leads to them giving up a lot of shots at the rim, giving up a lot of corner threes, just like a lot of high value shots in general. They foul a ton and they get murdered on their own glass. So Um, they're getting by on just being able to like suppress opponent shooting right now. And maybe them being able to do that at the rim is like sustainable because of like all the help that they're sending there. But they're also getting lucky, I think on opponent threes. And I don't know that at the end of the day, they're actually a top 10 defense, but it's been really impressive that they've just been able to get to that level with the personnel that they have.
0: Yeah. And like I said, they just remain a fascinating, not just watch for me on a night to night basis, which they are fun as hell, but just fascinating in terms of what they do or don't do the rest of this season and then what they do this summer because I think that's when things really really get interesting and fun in Oklahoma City.
1: Yeah, can I just ask you one more thing before we pivot? Sure, can. Where where does
0: Poku fit into fit into all this for you? Uh probably nowhere um <laughs> or like I don't know, maybe I I You're getting, I thought, you're getting off, the ra- off the island? I'm not getting off the island, but like I I thought there was a stretch early in the season where he looked really solid and again when you Add that to the way he finished last season. I was like, all right, there, here he comes. Like, but then he got hurt. But he had started, you know, losing minutes before he got hurt, and his play started to diminish again. So I don't know. I just think he's too inconsistent and still too raw at this point to like for me to say he's 100 in this core. Mm -hmm. But I'm not off the island, and like I'm not off the island thinking he's going to be a good NBA player someday. Whenever that day may be, maybe it's just not in Oklahoma City, and maybe he's part of you know, an outgoing package um, for a disgruntled star at some point in the next year or two. I'd be very curious what his trade value
1: is like around the league. Like if they were yeah, so would I. intent on using him as trade bait rather than as a long-term piece, which I'm not sure. I mean, they, they obviously really had eyes for him in the draft, right? Like they, yep. they traded up to get him, traded one of their future first to move up. And it's been a rocky road, but I do think for the bulk of this season, when he's played, he's looked like an NBA rotation player. Like that's the highest compliment I could give him. You know, the bar was pretty much on the floor coming into this season after how he looked in his first two, but, uh, he flashed the
0: last two months of last season. He was legit solid.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, he's, he had a, like, I think it was like a small fracture in his leg that, that was the injury. So
0: yeah,
1: um, he's been out for a while. I don't know when he's going to be back, but that's that's one of maybe the the sneaky big questions that i have about all this is like is he part of that is he a trade piece what could he bring back if he is a trade piece um very interesting. But yeah, let's uh, let's pivot over to the Blazers.
0: Yeah, we, we went long on the Thunder. I don't think we need to go as long on, this, on the Blazers, and then we'll rip through some of the other teams. But Portland, look, I talked early in the season about why I thought they were for real, at least as a play-in, if not more than that. Um, obviously, Dane was back, and they had more length and defensive upside around him than maybe ever before. Simon's coming into his own. Gary Payne II eventually joining the fold, which he did. The way Jeremy Grant was playing, Josh Hart. Nurkic starting to look like he was regaining his form and yet here we sit and they're still bottom nine on defense they're 22nd with a good but not great offense that ranks 11th they've lost 10 of their last 14 they are still very very dame reliant and uh, though they're tied with the thunder for 10th the thunder actually own the tiebreaker because they've won both season meetings so far they've got two left for the blazers to potentially match that and the blazers have a better conference record so if the blazers end up evening the season series they should be fine but still that's where they are right now technically out of the play-in losers of 10 of their last 14 uh what's your take on this team i know you were never nearly the believer in them that i was we've seen kind of the good and the bad from this team this year and the way it's balancing out they're probably a slightly below 500 if not maybe 500 team that's very dame reliant and still isn't good defensively even though roster wise like i feel like they should be better defensively though it's hard to be good defensively when you've got Damon Simon's the point of attack. Anyway, your thoughts? This is about where I expected them to be. And that's kind of, I,
1: I was almost scratching my head early in the season as to how they were, you know, defending as well as they were. Because I just didn't think they were actually that good a defensive team. And we've seen them really fall off and now they're down to 22nd. And funny enough, I'm not actually, I, I don't know that they're this bad either defensively. Right. I think Justice Winslow is out. And he was a big part of, I think, they're, them playing above their heads defensively early in the season. Nos Little was out until really recently. Like, he just came back, I think, a couple of games ago. He was one of their best defenders. And Gary Payton II just came back. And yeah. I think he's looked pretty tremendous defensively since he came back. But they're still integrating him. So, you know, fully healthy, I think they have a defensive baseline that might be higher than... 22nd and you know I guess the the concerning thing like or even early in the year when they were playing above their heads they were just giving up the wrong kind of shots and getting a bit lucky and they're still giving up the wrong kind of shots like still a lot of threes and shots at the rim and they're still playing a lot of zone which was helping them get by early on but the thing about playing zone is if you play it too much Teams just sort of figure out how to scheme for it and it can get exposed. There's uh, K- Cooper Moorhead is a beat writer who writes about the heat and early in the season, like when the heat were, and they still are, but they do it better than the Blazers do, just playing a ridiculous amount of zone. He had a stat in there about how on average zone defense allows like 0.9 points per possession before Christmas. And like okay. 1.1 points per possession afterwards. Like That's actually a really, really interesting find. Yeah, it was a great, great little nugget in one of his pieces. Yeah. And I just thought that was a, a really clean demonstration of how zone can get schemed for the more that opponents see it. So I feel like that started to happen with Portland a little bit. And then I also just think, even though they haven't been quite as aggressive with their ball screen coverage as they were last season, I'm still not convinced that having their bigs, you know, hedge or or even playing up to touch is the right scheme for this group, just given how small they often are on the back side of that. And, you know, even with those two bigs, like with Nurkic and Eubanks, like they're not always the best at actually getting up there and preventing guards from turning the corner. And so often it's like that coverage just gets beat and then they're dealing with shorthanded rotations on the backside. And I don't know. I don't know if that is the right scheme for them, but you know, generally look, Dame's been insane offensively. I'm really important qualifier there. Like offensively, he has been unbelievable averaging 39 and seven over his last six games, but the Blazers are two and four in those games in part because Dame has been awful defensively, you know, and I've I think I've seen in a couple places or heard like people saying that they feel like he has been better defensively this year. I haven't really seen that to be perfectly honest. And, you know, especially the off ball stuff. I just feel like he, he ball watches. He's out of position a lot. His low man rotations are not good. Um, So he's been a big part of the problem, but I, I don't know. It's hard to lay too much of this at his feet because he's been out of this world offensively. The Blazers have actually been really good with him on the floor. And I think just in terms of like the shooting is always going to be there, but like his pacing, his driving, his playmaking, um, like the, the way that they're using him off ball, maybe a little bit more than they have in the past. And I think that's interesting. Cause like when they do that, teams will kind of play him on the high side, right? Like they want to do what they can to prevent him from coming to get those handoffs or coming off of pin downs and getting clean looks. And he's done a good job of kind of leveraging that to cut back door and get into the middle of the floor that way and just find different ways to, to draw attention, whether he's on the ball or off. You know, like kind of taking a page out of Steph Curry's book a little bit, and I think that's been cool. So, look, their, their offense is great. Their defense is not. And this is what it nets out to, I think, is them being a kind of average 500-ish, maybe slightly better than that when they're fully healthy type of team. And um, – that's I don't know that that's sort of where I come down on them I guess if I was you know we're we're sussing this out and trying to figure out which of these teams are actually going to make the play in at the end of the day I think they'll be there but beyond that I don't have you know any particular expectations
0: yeah and look that's a you know technically a step up from last year when they missed most of the season and they went into the tank you know getting back in the play-in is a step in the right direction but I think given the moves they made given the way the season started and I think internally they would definitely say that's a disappointment and so I do wonder um although they've got Dame locked up now and they clearly made moves to try to you know put the best team around them if it's very obvious like they're they are just a playing team and not much more it's like well jeremy grant's gonna be a free agent do they do they trade him right because they realize they're not gonna be anything more this year or do they keep them because you don't want to diminish an already mediocre team? you know, in Dame's return season, when he has recommitted to your franchise, like it's a, they're in kind of a delicate situation too, right? Because it's very easy to say, well, you know, you're a capped out team going nowhere. And so you should just trade that guy for picks. But it's, it's a lot easier to say that from our vantage point than it is if you're actually in the Blazers organization. And you've got a guy like Dame who has committed to you over and over and over again. And yes, you've paid him very handsomely to do that. But still, at, at a certain point, it's like if you're going to keep him and, and pay him to stay and he has recommitted to you, you don't really want to be like, hey, we know you recommitted at this stage of your career and we still want to keep you. But look, it's another lost season. So now we're going to trade arguably the second best player on this team and probably miss the play in because of it. I don't know. It's, it's a very delicate dance that they'll have to do over the next little while. Yeah. And I I think a bit
1: of that's the bit of leverage that he kind of ceded to them though, by by extending his contract is like, you know, I think there is obviously a lot of mutual respect and mutual trust between him and the organization, but it's like, if he really wanted to put the screws to them, what does he have to threaten them with? Like they're like, you're never going to leave. We know you're never going to leave.
0: Yeah.
1: Otherwise you're going to have to walk back all that stuff you said in the media about how you're never going to leave. And I don't know that like any of that actually matters, but uh, at the end of the day, it's like they could look at it one of two ways. They could say, well, you've been like such a good and loyal soldier. And like, we owe it to you to keep this team as competitive as it can possibly be while you're here. Or they can say, well, you're committed long-term. You're not going anywhere. We can afford to take a step back in the present to try and improve our long-term outlook. But I think the problem is, is like we're getting into the, you know, the period of Dame's career that is like late prime, right? Yep. How much longer is that going to last? And if they're thinking a couple years down the road, well, you know, they have to think about whether Dame is going to be as good as he is now. And maybe right now is the time for them to, to push as hard as they can. I just don't know how high the ceiling is realistically going to be, but you know, to bring yeah. it back to grant, I, I find it hard to believe that they're act- like, they, they would trade him, which means that they have to re-sign
0: him right and that then again that's where you start look I, I, we both like grant like he, he's a really good player he's having a tremendous season but you know he's making what 20 20 and a half right now and i agree with you i don't think they'll trade him and therefore i think they'll basically have to resign him and then i wonder if his next contract ends up an overpay right like i know we're getting ahead of ourselves now it's just you can kind of start to see again how they might get themselves on this kind of treadmill of mediocrity and stuck in the middle just based on them trying to appease Dame, which I understand. Like, that's why I say it's a delicate dance. It's it's not – this isn't your standard, like, oh, well, they they should just make these obvious moves. And it's like, they're not that good. Trade Jeremy Grant. Get a pick out of it. Like, it's it's a lot more complicated than that um, in these situations. What about Hart?
1: Because he's got, I think – I think it might even be like a mutual option for next season. He's got some weird stipulation in his contract uh, where it's like there's a player option, but also a non-guarantee. So, yeah, uh, and, and if something I, like 13 million, which is, uh, you know, that's towing the line, I guess, where I think you would, he, but he would probably opt out, right? Like, cause even if you right, were because... to get, even, even if you were to only get mid-level money, like if he could get it for, you know, three years or something like that, then
0: that's almost 20 million more guaranteed right over the life of that contract for a player that like is in that caliber of the league where it's like, he's good and I like him, but maybe he has a down year next year. And then he doesn't get that. But like, I think if you're a Josh Hart type of player and it's, you know, 13 ish million dollar player option or say three year, 30, 33 million dollar deal, you take the long-term guaranteed money because you're not the caliber of player that can really play yourself into something much bigger than that.
1: Yeah. But I also then wonder if maybe this is a situation where you can just find a mutually beneficial deal, like for both sides, because he could look at the market and be like, okay, I'm probably not going to get anything more than mid-level money. And the Blazers could see the same thing and say, well, why don't we give you like 13 million a year or something like that? And that that's palatable for us. And that's more than you could get on the open market. You know, maybe... Like similar to the Covington deal with the with the Clippers, you know, or like I'm sure there's some others that I could rattle off if you gave me more time, but something like that where yeah, um, that that kind of middle ground benefits both sides, and maybe they look at that and say, no, we are we are going to be able to work out that type of deal, so we're not going to try and get out ahead of this and trade you now because he also is super important, I think, to what they're doing, and you know, we impressive. talk about having to insulate their backcourt defensively. They need wings who can do that. And he he's a big part of it.
0: Yeah, um, definitely feels like a different tone and mood, you know, as we wrap up the Blazers conversation than when we wrapped up the Thunder conversation. Two franchises, I mean, maybe not quite opposite directions. I don't want to make it seem like the Blazers are like headed to hell, but somewhat opposite directions.
1: Well, yeah, they're just at like completely different points in the right. cycle right? Like there's no desperation for the thunder. Like you said, house money, right? And this is not house money for Portland. You know, like they're, this is I mean, all bank money. Their pockets pretty much on the table.
0: Yeah. This is all so, bank money. They are in debt. They are house poor.
1: Yeah. Like they've been team clutch for so long. And that was sort of powering their success early in the season yeah. too. We mean were team just, clutch, like with a C, like clutch minutes, yes, not yes, team yes. clutch. Sorry. We know who K, he- like
0: clutch agency. <laughs>
1: No, we know which team that is. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, But like they, you know, many, many seasons have kind of gotten by on really good crunch time play. And early this season, they were winning a ton of tight games. And I feel like part of what's fallen apart for them recently is like that's just fallen by the wayside and their crunch time execution has been awful. Yeah. They are uh, tied for 10th overall in offense, but in the fourth quarter, they're 25th. And I think... A lot of the the nice stuff that they've done with their offense just sort of falls by the wayside. I think late in games where everything goes kind of static, it becomes more game reliant. You know, they get away from doing the off ball stuff with him that they do in the rest of the game, and it's it's been kind of ugly. So um, maybe a good reminder that uh, you know t- maybe there are exceptions to this, and like players who are exceptions to this, but. Crunch time play is generally variable and I don't know yeah. that it's like part of the identity of a team is like that they're good in the
0: clutch. I think a lot of it does come down to um, luck, you know? Yeah, I know. And, and I think, look, obviously having a player like Damian Lillard or having a true blue superstar in the most um, superstar impacted or superstar dependent league would definitely help you and gives you a leg up in crunch time. But yeah, I mean, agreeing agree with you that for the most part, overall, like season-long performance in crunch time is very variable and luck-based. And you could say that for any sport, Like if there's any football fans listening to this right now, the Minnesota Vikings this year ha- ended up with, I think, 13 wins, 12 or 13 wins, but they won a ridiculous amount of one score games and won a ridiculous amount of games that came down to the wire. And they ended up with this ridiculous record that they were nowhere near as good as, and then they lost in the wildcard round to a giants team that on paper was not as good as them, but like record wise was a lot closer to them than it seemed because Minnesota had won all these close games. And so, yes, it's like, obviously it's better to win them than to lose them. But when you're talking about trying to assess how good a team is always keep in mind if a team is like barely scraping by to get all those wins because on balance, you know, if a team's 11 and 0 in crunch time games, when the average would be five or six wins in that, like they're probably not as good as their record indicates.
1: So, uh, how are you feeling about your Blazers over Kings prediction? Feeling okay about that still or?
0: Yeah, it's not looking great. (laughs) In mid January, and definitely um, not feeling great about it. But I would also say, you know, it's three months left for the Blazers to make up four games on a team that is clearly better than them. I will give you that. (laughs) But let's just see how the season plays out. Okay, Not, I'm not ready to concede in January. Anyway, let's take the break come back and i swear to god we're doing the rest of these five teams in five minutes or less i will cut each other we will cut each other off if it hits is five minutes and one of us is still talking what's up pound the rock listeners just a friendly reminder to rate review and subscribe to the show on itunes soundcloud stitcher spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts you can also check out the scores fantasy football podcast with justin boone and in case you haven't already download the score app available on iphone and android that's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out The Score's YouTube page for an informative, yet light-hearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. Alright well, on, we still have to talk Clippers, Warriors, Jazz, Timberwolves, Suns. You pick where we're going first. Uh, how about Wolves? How about them Wolves? The Timberwolves are currently 22 and 23 i mean it almost feels like a waste of time for me to even tell you what their record is not just because it it might be different when people are listening but because all these teams are so close that it's like really what's the difference right now between being a half game up a half game out but they are currently ninth if the postseason were to start today they would be hosting the thunder in the 9-10 game to see who goes on to play for eighth uh
1: Carl Anthony Towns. But again, only a out. half game, only a half game out of being out of the play in entirely.
0: Yeah, and probably the streakiest team this season. Like, I feel like they are perpetually on a three or four game winning or losing streak this year. Carl um, Anthony Towns remains out right now. There are some nights where Rudy Gobert still looks like an absolute defensive monster whose, you know, defensive impact makes him one of the most impactful players in the league. And there are. A lot of nights where it looks like, holy shit, the Timberwolves really dug themselves a hole by trading for this guy because he's clearly lost a step. Um, Anthony Edwards, I think on balance has been very good. He's had nights where he's looked tremendous. I think there's been nights where he hasn't been engaged enough too, though, especially with Carl Anthony Towns out. So I I just think they are very much what their up and down season appears to be. And in the end, the balance of that usually is you're a very mediocre 500-ish team. That's probably what they are.
1: Yeah. And I would love to say, wow, look, you know, they've kind of ridden out this stretch with Towns on the sidelines. They've weathered it and like they're kind of treading water here and just wait till he gets back and all these things are going to click. But I have no confidence in saying that, you know, because it didn't really feel like they figured anything out with him in the lineup. And so I'm not ready to say, oh, you know, Towns is going to come back and suddenly like their improved defense is going to sustain itself, and their offense is just going to come back up because their best offensive player is back in the mix. Like it just, it doesn't work that way in general a lot of the time, but it certainly doesn't work that way for this team that has just been, like you said, so variable, so inconsistent from night to night. I do want to spotlight Edwards because I think he has been awesome lately and with towns out and him really, stepping up and shouldering that offensive load and being like the clear cut number one guy, lead ball handler. There are still some, you know, questionable decisions that he makes in terms of like, you know, the shoot pass balance and like pick and roll playmaking is a little bit mechanical. Um, He's not the most creative playmaker, but I think the decision making has tilted a lot more toward the positive side of the ledger recently and I just think his his kind of like determination as a scorer has been very impressive to me. And he's carried them through a lot of these games. I also think Kyle Anderson has been a big part of that, right? Like he if you want to talk about the, the playmaking element that they've been missing and how both D'Lo and Edwards have sort of struggled to make, you know, to optimize Gobert, to, to make the two big thing work early in the season. I think Anderson might be their best passer. Like he might, or he, probably their best lob passer, if nothing else. And he has actually found maybe more synergy with Gobert than any of the other guys on the team. And he's done that while being, you know, a really disruptive force on defense. So that's been big. And then I think their bench has been better lately with Nas Reed kind of balling out. Torian Prince was out for a while. He's come back and he's been a super important piece for them just because we talk about their lack of two way players and. He gives them, uh, you know, that, that pretty important ingredient off of the bench. So, you know, look, there there's a lot of talent here. And there is certainly a universe where Towns comes back and it does finally click. But I just, like from what I've seen this season, I have no reason to feel confident in saying that's
0: actually going to happen. Yeah. Like I said, I think in the end, they balance out as a very mediocre 500-ish team that is a play-in team. And, you know, they got the talent in... In a one game off to win it and maybe sneak in again as a bottom two playoff seed, but not much more than that going to take us to LA to talk Clippers who are a 500 team that currently hold the last playoff proper spot in six kind of the front of the pack of the teams we're talking about today. I laughed last night when after losing to the Sixers in a game, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard played together only the 16th game that that's happened this year. Uh, you know, Paul George talked about how they've been behind the eight ball in terms of injuries and lineups and guys in and out and then said urgency starts now. Um, and yeah, I just had to laugh because it's like, I don't know, like, does anyone actually believe like when you say the urgency starts now, it's Kawhi Leonard going to start playing back to backs, Paul George. I don't think so. Like, you're going to magically make you and Kawhi like play more than 16 games per half season. They played 369 minutes together. And guess what? The clips are plus plus 7.6 per 100 possessions in those minutes. We know that they're great when both those guys play together. Kawhi has looked really good lately. It seems like he's coming back into his own. But uh, like I've asked it a thousand times this season, I just, how can you have faith in this team's ability to really put a run together or really get going or have any faith in, Kawhi and PG playing enough minutes together. Like, even if they just do a little more in the second half and you end up where it's like, you know, they play about seven, 800 total minutes together, 35 games together before the playoffs. Like, I'm sorry, I don't think that's enough to then go into the playoffs and think, okay, well, those guys are just both there now. And so they'll beat Denver and Memphis and maybe a healthy New Orleans and maybe a healthy Warriors and like everything will be fine. I just... I think we're at a point with a scene where like, we know that's not the case. They have good defense, but their offense is the worst by far of any contender, at least. They are 27th overall. Only the Tanktastic Hornets, Rockets, and Spurs are worse. And their offensive rating with both of Kawhi and PG on the court, which is like 114.1, would only rank 12th. It's not like all their problems are fixed when those two guys are on the court. So I'd love your thoughts on this, but I'd say overall very unimpressed with a team that i think we both had at least in the conference finals playing denver i had them i think eking that out um which i'm regretting because i like denver more but yeah but uh, what are your thoughts on this team Uh, pretty similar to when we
1: talked about them you know a few weeks back like they're and i said at the time like i think their defense can remain really good but i don't see their offense getting up to you know even league average just because of how bad the process is and it remains awful. Like this is apart from the Rockets, my least favorite team in the league to watch. Like it is such a slog there. And at least the Rockets
0: provide comedy.
1: (laughs) It's yeah. I mean, that's a good point. There's no maybe unintentional comedy, but uh, it's just so like station to station. And I really have felt the lack of playmaking juice this season, maybe more than any others. And maybe that's just because the jump shooting isn't where it's been in the past, but uh, they, they still just like, don't put a lot of pressure on the rim and they're are still like super jump shot reliant. But I was writing this piece about the Nuggets defense, right? So I didn't watch this game live, but I did go back to watch it afterwards. The game where the Nuggets, the Nuggets just like absolutely shit kicked them. were up by 38 points at one point in the first half. I was like, well, I got to watch that game and see what the Nuggets defense did. And there were some impressive moments from the Nuggets defense in that game. Like on balance, they were good. But what honestly jumped out to me more was just how many playmaking reads the Clippers missed. Like there were so many times where I was like, oh, okay, that guy's in the pocket and he's kind of wide open in the middle of the floor, didn't get the ball. Oh. There's somebody who slipped underneath and is wide open under the basket, yet no pass went there. Oh, there is a skip pass that was completely telegraphed where the tag man was already recovering to the corner before you even threw it, and you actually could have just hit the roller and gotten a wide open dunk, but you telegraphed the pass. Like, that happened over and over and over again, and then it's like, once the initial read, you know, didn't go anywhere, once the initial action kind of stalled out, it's like, okay, we're just going to ISO now, you know, like they don't keep the gears moving. It just grinds down. And there is still a lot of offensive talent here, like enough for this to certainly be a better offensive team than it's been to this point. And to have some games where they absolutely explode because of their ability to score in isolation, to shoot the ball. But on balance, I just think because of that lack of You know, north south juice that we talk about all the time—the lack of playmaking, like the lack of connectivity. If it's just going to be down to you know PG and Kawhi having to create in isolation and just like you know hit jumpers, that's not something you can rely on. You know, like even even if those guys were their peak selves, I, I wouldn't be comfortable relying on that. But especially now that you know they're not, and I agree, Kawhi has looked a lot more like Kawhi recently. But given like the injury history and the fact that those guys are just probably on the downslope at this point, I-, I don't think that's a good formula for success. And I think they're going to continue to be a bad offensive team that, you know, you mentioned, you know, how much you wouldn't trust them like to to win three series in the West. I- I'm thinking about whether I trust them to win one.
0: Yeah, I don't think I no do. right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Like, this, um, they could, right. they have the talent to do it, but like,
0: this team just underwhelms the shit out of me, man. A, a team that I think, when healthy, we still trust to win at least one series as a defending champion, Warriors. I'll be honest, I don't have much to say about them just because I, I just think with Curry back now, and like if they stay healthy, they're going to be fine. And maybe they don't finish top two or three. And that obviously complicates things on their journey to the title. But I just think they're very different than the other teams in this group. So I don't know if you have anything you really want to say about the Warriors. Like obviously they got to play better on the road, but from like a on-court standpoint or like stylistic standpoint, is there anything that jumps out to you or concerns you even when healthy?
1: Yeah, I mean the defense, like it just... For a team that finished second in defensive rating last year and, you know, arguably out-defended the number one defense in the league in the finals and really, like, rode that defense to the championship, it just, like, they've had moments where they've really been able to lock it down, but on balance, like, it, it has been fairly choppy and there have been a lot of, kind of Bosch rotations and guys not being where they're supposed to be. And obviously Draymond doing his demonstrative thing where when somebody screws up, he lets them know about it. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess their are starters. I still trust to defend at a really high level. Wiggins has been great when he's been healthy. Draymond's more or less been Draymond. Uh, but once you get outside of that starting group, and I know you can say like, okay, in the playoffs the rotation is going to shorten; it's not going to matter. But you still need more than five guys. And honestly, once you get out of that that five man group, it's like feels like anybody you add to that mix, apart from Divincenzo, I suppose, yeah, is making mistakes and compromising them. And I guess if I had to point to one thing, then that is it. Like I just don't think the defense has been nearly where it was at last year, and I don't know if it's going to get up to that level. And that puts more pressure on the offense to be better than it was last year if they're going to repeat the feat. And I would have questions about whether they can do that.
0: Their starting five is still absolutely murdering teams. And that's, um, you know, got to give you hope that, again, they stay healthy. You get into the playoffs when rotations shorten and your best players are what matters. Like, they'll be fine. But again, you know, when it comes to their versatility, when they go a bit smaller, when it's pool in for loon, like, I just don't think pool's been good enough this year. And like, if he doesn't find a little more of what he had last year, I think that diminishes those more you know, seemingly versatile lineups. And yeah, DiVincenzo has been good, uh, but I don't know. I I definitely think we're deep enough into the season where you can at least say the ceiling seems a bit lower and their top players are so good. And Curry specifically that like, a lower ceiling is still probably a championship ceiling, but it does seem like there is a level they were able to hit last year that doesn't seem as attainable this season. And I do think that's concerning when you, <laughs> sorry, when you talk about, you know, um, the way the Grizzlies are rolling, the groove, the nuggets are in the fact that again, the Pelicans when healthy can, are, are a tough matchup for the Warriors. Like that's already three teams, you know? So it's, like well, now what are we talking about? It the fourth place team that is going to be really hard pressed to even get out of the second round. I, all right, the other team there's definitely cause for concern and way more than the Warriors is the Phoenix Suns, who you mentioned are out of the play in now. They're twelfth. They're twenty one and twenty four. They are sliding. They've lost nine of ten, three in a row. Uh, Devin Booker and Chris Paul are both out of the lineup right now. Chris Paul and campaign, by the way, right so and campaign
1: like no creators.
0: Yeah. Obviously, Cam Johnson's missed right basically. One the whole season, Jay Crowder remains sitting at home yeah. while they figure out what to do there. Like this team is very much looking cooked, and Mikel Bridges I think has had a fantastic season. Um, and is um, he's done a little more self creation. I think you know if everything else was going the way the Suns wanted it to, it'd be a really good story. Aiton has been himself. It's kind of like. Some nights, he looks like he's figured something out. Other nights, he looks completely disinterested. He can be traded. Uh, actually, now he can officially be traded now, although he still has veto power for another nine months. But uh, I don't know, man. Like, you know, if Booker gets back, the way they were playing with Booker in the lineup, and especially with Booker and CP, they still look like at least a fringe contender. But you're deep enough into the season now where it's like by the time Booker comes back, they're going to have to play their asses off just to fight for their lives to even get in the play-in and let alone the top six so yeah like what are your what are your thoughts on Phoenix are you team it's not a season-ending injury for Booker he'll get back and they'll be fine even if they have to get in the play-in they'll make it to the playoffs proper out of that and then from there they'll have as good a chance as anyone or are you on team like shit's about to hit the fan here I I think it's just
1: so hard to judge like they really have had their season derailed by injuries you know, and I guess in Crowder's case, just absences uh, of one kind or another, which, by the way, like, what was that whole thing about he was like calling out the team for giving up on him?
0: I didn't even see it, this. What?
1: I can't remember who wrote the story, but he there was something about how he felt like the team was like pushing him out the door when from everything we'd heard early in the season, it seemed like it was his decision to sit out. Just because and maybe I guess in his mind, them just wanting to start Cam Johnson over him was them pushing him out the door, but he made it seem like the this this fracture was more on the organization than it was on him, which I found very confusing. But that yeah, generally it's like look, they haven't had Crowder all season, they basically haven't had Cam Johnson all season, they haven't had Booker for like the last month, and they've really struggled without Booker this year. Uh, because Chris Paul is not Chris Paul anymore. Like, that is the reality. But could Chris Paul still be a dynamite, you know, complimentary guard when Booker is there? Yeah, I think he can be. And everyone's kind of been piling on Aiton lately because he hasn't really been able to step up in the absence of those guys. But again, look at the guards he's playing with. And for a guy who is a dependent offensive player, like, how do you really expect that to yeah. go? You know, would it be nice if he was the type of big man who could take over the offense when his guards are out and just become a, a post-up monster. Yeah, that would be nice, but that's not his game. And I, I don't I think it's counterproductive to like point the finger at Aiden and be like, this is the problem when we know that playing next to really solid creators can unlock a, a really important and you know quality version of him. So the bad vibes aside, like I don't think there's really any issue there. Like he's still the same player. Um, you know, for better or worse. But, you know, with both him and Bridges, it's like those guys are complementary players and they have nobody to compliment right now. So it's not surprising to me that when like the team is starting uh, Damian Lee, who's been great, like all credit to Damian Lee, but he shouldn't be your number one option on offense and Dwayne Washington shouldn't be your lead ball handler. Like when those guys are starting, obviously you're going to see a drop off in the quality of play from complementary guys like Bridges and Aiden. So I find it really hard to judge. I think fully healthy, this team is still good. Yeah, You know, good enough to win a playoff series? Maybe not. But I don't think it's like, like you know, oh. give up on this team, blow it up, trade Chris Paul necessarily. Uh, I just, you know, how far behind the eight ball, I guess, are they going to get before they do get healthy is the big question.
0: Imagine Devin Booker gets back. Um, they make the playoffs or whatever. They are what you think they are with Devin Booker and Chris Paul, both healthy and in the lineup. Would you pick them in a playoff series, when healthy, against any of Memphis, Denver, New Orleans, or Golden State? And if the answer is no, then we're saying they're a first round out. <laughs> I mean, I don't... F- like, maybe I wouldn't pick them,
1: but I. it's not like it would be some kind of landslide either, where of course, no, I couldn't, I where I couldn't see it going the no. other way. I understand. You know, like, I, I, I still think like at their best, their offense is actually pretty well equipped to deal with the Nuggets defense, like to unwind the Nuggets defense. We've seen that happen before. Um, I think, you know, against uh, an inexperienced Pelicans team that uh, like a fully healthy Suns team could still carry the day. Like, again, maybe I wouldn't pick them, but I think they're close enough that it's still worth pushing this thing forward rather than hitting reset. Right. Oh,
0: I, I, yeah, for sure. I agree with that. And of course, if they're healthy, they they're upside, like their absolute ceiling is still championship level team, but it's more so like when you talk about things on balance and like probability wise, I think even when healthy this season, probability wise, they're prob like, they're probably a first round out. And that's, that mm. is a pretty tough thing to reconcile with given where they are in their cycle, right? When we talk about like team cycles and stuff. Um, a team whose cycle is very much on another level. And the last team, I guess we can touch on is Utah, who, look, I wrote a couple weeks into the season when they got off to that hot start about why if they kept this team together, I thought it was not sustainable that they could be a great team, but sustainable that they could hang around the play race and be like at worst, a mediocre competitive night to night team throughout the season. Marketing, I think, is the real deal. They've got some depth. Will Hardy's doing a tremendous job. I think it was Ty Liu who said earlier this year that like Will Hardy has introduced sets as a head coach that he actually hadn't seen before, which is interesting because you Mm. pretty much have seen everything. They've got you know a good mix of like young and old. Like if they if they actually just wanted to be a competitive team night to night and maybe make the play in and possibly the playoffs this year, they can do it. But. The reason I saved them for last is because I also just don't think they're interested in that. And so I I think they're going to end up out of the mix because they don't want to be in the mix. And they will make deals with some of the vets that I think they'll fall out of it with all these other teams that are actually trying to win. I think it makes sense.
1: I think if they had been, you know, just playing at the level they played at early in the season, then maybe they would see a reason to kind of like keep the group together and push forward. But because they've fallen off I just think it makes sense for them to, to get what they can for the vets. And, you know, not even just in the interest of tanking this year, but like, okay, are they going to resign Clarkson in the off season? You know, are they going to bring back Olenek right. or is it just time to get off of those guys and get what they can for them? Um, yeah. It will be a shame because I've enjoyed watching them. Like they're still fourth in the league in offense, which I think is remarkable. Uh, and it, you know, maybe more remarkable is like, it hasn't felt like a fluke, right? Like you mentioned Will Hardy and his creativity. I love the way their offense flows. Markinen just keeps doing the thing. Uh, Clarkson has been awesome. Um, and I think has really upped his playmaking this year and, uh, you know, Walker freaking Kessler, man, like what a, what a, a find deal, he was. I mean, I guess they weren't the ones who found him in the draft, but they got to be feeling pretty good about having gotten him in the Gobert trade and him hanging 20 and 20 on the Wolves in that game. The Jazz squeaked out at the buzzer, uh, just maybe a little bit of salt in the wound.
0: Yeah. And also, even though they're not the ones who found him in the draft, the fact that if, you know, you read all the reports about the Gobert trade, that they were really adamant about him being involved, it's, you know, even though they didn't find him, they clearly had their eye on him and um, saw something like this for him so kudos uh to them from that perspective as well okay so let me ask you this before we wrap today's episode up for the most part we'll move on to make them miss uh after this as well but to wrap all this up my question for you would be given everything we've talked about today the way the standings look um what you can you know assume or imagine when it comes to health out of the teams we talked about today at least two of them are gonna have to miss even the play-in we're going to, I think, assume between the two of us, the Lakers also miss it just based on star availability. Are we going to way- assume that? I don't know. But then the here. So there's what I was going to say. Answer this question then. They're one game out of it. Okay, dude. So that's let's, let me get to the question. Okay. Tell me why I'm wrong if I say that the Lakers, the Thunder, and the Jazz will end up being the teams that miss playing the Lakers for a variety of reasons in that they're a trash team. That, not as trash as maybe, you know, we thought at certain points of the season, but a largely trash team outside of LeBron and AD with just so much uncertainty about how often AD will be on the court down, like for the remainder of the season. Um, then the Jazz and the Thunder, because especially in the Jazz's case, I don't think they want to be there. And even the Thunder, I do think they might still take their foot off the gas at the end. Tell me why I'm wrong and why it might, it will be another one of the teams we talked about today who will miss the play in rather than those, all three of those teams.
1: Okay, well, the Thunder, I will let our like, you know, half an hour long conversation at the (laughs) the start of this pod stand in for my answer there. Uh, I think they're a good team, you know, and like, I think there is a power in sort of playing freely without expectations, you know? Yeah. I, I think there is something very propulsive about that. And if they don't take their foot off the gas and they decide that it's actually worth it to push and get some, you know, important high leverage games under their belt late in the season, then I think that they are going to be there at the end of the day. The Lakers, man, I I don't, it's hard to say without knowing when AD is going to be back and how long he's going to be back for before the next injury strikes. But dude, LeBron is, no, I know LeBron is balling out of his mind right now. Like I'm, I don't want to do the whole, like, don't take LeBron james for granted thing because if at this point you want to take lebron james for granted then that's your prerogative like do you (laughs) but he's averaging like 35 8 and 8 over his last 15 games and has kind of kept the team afloat without ad uh, and also without lonnie walker and austin reeves who have both been out which might not seem like much but those are actually very important players for this lakers team which i guess you could say that's concerning i just think it's when you look at this morass of teams, like it's very hard to bet against a team that has LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And there is the variable of like, what are they going to do at the trade deadline? Like maybe probably they will make some kind of move to improve.
0: Okay. So then are you, if you put the thunder and Lakers, in? so we're in agreement on the jazz, but then if you put the thunder and Lakers in, then which two of the other teams we talked about today are coming out? Uh, I guess, I guess the blazers. Yeah, but you you did say earlier that you do th- still think they're a playing team, like they'll end up being a playing team. Well, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> All right. So then one more. Who is it? The Wolves?
1: Like could be the Wolves. Uh I I actually don't think it will be. Um I think the Wolves will be there. So, yeah, what does that leave me with? It's the Warriors will be in that mix for sure.
0: The Clippers should be fine, even though we don't think they're what they could have been. Or are you about to say that you think the Clippers are going to fall right out? Their Clippers aren't even going to make the no, play No, I it?
1: can't. Ultimately, I think that's too bold. But, like, yeah. if I if I was coming at this with, like, no priors right, and just looking at it in a vacuum and, like, forgetting everything that I knew coming into this season about what Kawhi has done in the past and what PG has done in the past, like if I was just looking at these teams and being like, okay, which of them is the worst and is probably going to miss out. I think I would actually point to the Clippers and say that, oh my God. that that's Dude, the I team would... that's going to miss it. But I can't say that because of those guys, because of Ty Lu, and because they are also a team that I would expect to make some kind of swing and yeah. some kind of upgrade at the deadline. So I guess for the sake of this exercise, I will pick Minnesota.
0: All right. So you've got, Minnesota, Utah, and Portland as the team's out and the Lakers and Thunder in.
1: Yeah, Lakers, Thunder, Warriors. Man, with with the Suns,
0: it's really just dependent on On when they get healthy, you know? I will say, dude, if the Clippers, man, if they miss the play-in, like I would love just raw footage of Steve Ballmer's every move, sound effect, facial expression while they're in the process of missing it. Because like, As everyone knows, like, oxygen is cocaine for that guy. Like, that's how ramped up he is and amped up he is at all seconds of the day. Given the investment he's made in that team, the moves they've made, the way they've leveraged and, like, mortgaged the entire future for that duo, if they miss the play-in, oh, my God. (sighs) You want to move on to make or miss or what? (laughs) Let's do it. All right, you hit me with one first, and I'll hit you with one.
1: Uh, Okay, Cash, given the state of this team, the rumors swirling around them. And, you know, we've, we've talked about trade possibilities with this group. Mainly they've focused on their backcourt, but I'm starting to wonder if they do want to really shake things up and make a move that could meaningfully kind of impact the roster short and long term, they might have to look at a different type of player to trade. So, Make or miss for you, is. Cash, is the Toronto Raptors will trade OG Ananobi
0: before this year's deadline. You know what? You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. I'm calling it a make. Um, contingent on the fact that the reports are true, that they could get like a DeJounte Murray-type package mm-hmm. for him. Well, I think the, the uh, reports are that they're they're asking for that, not that... Uh, well... If they can get something in that neighborhood, I think he's gone. And it's very much um, for the same reasons that I know you believe, because you talked about it last time we were on the Raptors show with friend of the show, Will Lou. Um, I'm very much in agreement with you that I think the best way or the best path towards being able to capitalize on some sort of overlapping primes between Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes is by trading OG Ananobi because of out of the guys, like if you don't want to trade Barnes or Siakam, which you obviously don't want to do, I think out of the remaining guys, OG has by far the most trade value because of his value as a three D guy who's on a very team-friendly contract right now for at least another year compared to Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent who are expiring contracts or whatever. And like that doesn't mean they won't trade them too. But I think if you can turn OG and OB into the value, I think, and clearly they think they can turn him into from a trade perspective this year and what's pretty much a lost season and then use some of that trade capital in conjunction with other stuff and another good pick this year to then chase, whether it's a disgruntled superstar, whatever it is, but to like add depth and another good player around Siakam and OG and possibly still one of Gary or Fred, I think you're cooking more than you are with this team right now. And it's not so much about OG and Anobi not being an impactful player or not being a, you know a surplus value player right now. It's more so just about what he can get them and the timeline the Raptors are now on. All right, my make is miss for you is, despite being on pace to post just the 15th 21.11 assist season in NBA history, James Harden, who's quietly dominating offensively for a Sixers team that, though feels underwhelming, has won 16 of 20 and sits third in the East. James Harden is actually at risk of missing out on the All-Star game for the first time in 11 years. In the Eastern Conference, where only four to maximum six of the following guards can make the team. Harden, Donovan Mitchell, Tyrese Halliburton, Jalen Brunson, Jalen Brown, Kyrie Irving, Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, DeMar DeRozan. Now, you couldn't wait until our next episode to hit this one, eh? because the next episode is going to be our all-star picks. And so, if I want to do it as a make or miss, I think it'd be better to do it now. Uh, Miss. I think it's close because you're saying he's at
1: risk, and given all the names that you mentioned, I think it would be fair to say that he is at risk because there is a ton of just top-down quality in the East, but especially in the guard department, it's gonna be really hard to choose. But I I, I think it would be crazy to leave Harden off. Like the only knock against him to me right now is time missed. Yeah. But I think by the time you know the All-Star game actually rolls around he won't have missed enough time to be disqualifying. And barring that, like, I just think he's been, obviously the defense is what it is at this point, but man, his his playmaking has been so good. I think he's done so much to unlock and bead offensively. And, uh, you know, yeah, he's not the scorer that he once was. He doesn't have the burst and doesn't get to the rim the way that he used to, but I actually think he's made some important and subtle adaptations to his game to account for that where you know we talked early in the season about how he was exploring the mid-range space a little bit more um, getting in the post a little bit more and shooting threes off of the catch you know like without hesitation for the first time that I can basically remember and something we've been pleading for him to do for so long uh, I think he deserves credit for making those adjustments and he really deserves credit for the way that he's passing the ball right now and I just You know, you mentioned his numbers. You mentioned Philly's team success. Uh, I think he
0: has to be there. I do think it'll end up being close, but I think he will earn uh, another spot, which would be the 12th straight All-Star selection for James Harden. Um, All right. I think we're good for today. And we are planning to come back. Friday or potentially Saturday with an all-star picks episode. So look out for that later this week. In the meantime, I want to get to our fan shout out of the week, which goes out to Anand Prasad, who reached out via email, uh, emailed both of us. He's originally from Brampton, Ontario, Canada. Says he's been listening for uh, five years now, if not longer. So he's basically one of the day one listeners. Been listening since his medical school is back in Granada, New Jersey. He's now in Tennessee completing his residency. So uh, shout out to Anand, first of all, for getting into the medical field. And I think adding more value in this world than a couple of basketball (laughs) podcasters. But uh, we'll let the people decide that. Um, He was kind enough to say that listening to Pound the Rock has made his trips to different places easier. And uh, we always love hearing that. So uh, Anand, thank you for the email. Thank you for the years of support. I know you also, uh, dropped a note in there about how you'd love to see some more YouTube content from us and like specifically pound the rock podcast content on YouTube. A reminder that, uh, you can check YouTube once in a while. Some of our make or miss segments end up on there, not every time, but sometimes. And again, in general would, uh, refer you and any of our pound the rock listeners to the scores, YouTube channel, um, whether it's my own content, pound the rock content, uh, content jonah does uh content that you will now see uh our new uh teammate jolene doing i think i can say without being biased that it is uh really good and um engaging and fun content so whether it's pound the rock content or not definitely subscribe to the score on youtube if you haven't already anyway again Anand, thank you so much for reaching out and for supporting the show as long as you have usual call out to all of our other listeners that like Anand support the show but haven't gotten a shout out yet hit us up like he did, email joe.wolfond at the score.com, joseph.casharo at the score.com. Find us on Twitter at joey underscore double Y-O-U at JosephCacharo or find me on Instagram at joe underscore 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 cash. Let us know how long you've been listening, what you like or don't like about the show. Tell us a joke, whatever, and we'll make sure we get you a shout out on a future episode, but until one of those future episodes. For Joe Wolfond, I'm Joseph Casharo, Pound the Rock.